Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Welcome to a new episode of LawPod. Today's episode is an anniversary celebration and reflection uh, for the 25th anniversary of the Institute of Criminology and Criminal Justice at Queen's University Belfast. We are marking this important anniversary with a slight delay due to the pandemic. Today, we are joined by four of the previous directors of the Institute, uh, Professor John Jackson, who is Professor of Comparative Criminal Law and Procedure at the University of Nottingham, Professor Kira McAvoy, who's a Professor uh, of Transitional Justice and Law at the Queen's University Belfast School of Law, Professor Shad Maruna, who's Professor of Criminology in the School of Social Sciences, Education and Social Work at Queen's University Belfast, and Professor Graham Ellison, who's a Professor of Law and Criminology uh, within the School of Law at Queen's University uh, Belfast. We'll start our conversation on the history and the activities of the ICCJ. We'll start with uh, Professor John Jackson and Professor Kieran McAvoy who have been around since the early days of the Institute and can start talking a little bit about the establishment of the Institute in 1995. Uh, and then we'll uh, proceed uh, with our conversation. Thanks. Yes, the Institute sort of, my involvement with it formally was began when I uh, became the, the first director in terms of the Institute in the law school. Uh, but it had, of course, as you said, Alessandro has been started already uh, within Queen's back in 1995 before it came into the law school. Uh, and I guess it might be worth just saying, how, from my own recollection, um, the sort of things that maybe brought it into being. And I suppose my own feeling is that maybe the origins of this goes back maybe to the early 90s when uh, there was a bit of a shift in terms of discourse in the criminal justice criminology world, such as it was at that time, because you know, in the early 90s, there was a period, I think, when there was a kind of reduction in violence generally. This is, again, my only my own perceptions. I don't think this has actually been documented, but there was a kind of space there because of sort of re reductions in violence and sort of talks about possible deals and a ceasefire and so on, which, of course, took place in the middle of the 1990s, about really um, giving space to the criminal justice organizations, the voluntary organizations, statutory and so on, to maybe develop other dialogues and things not just centered in the, the violence that had been going on. And people, I think, were a little bit more prepared to get out of their bunkers, maybe talk about things. And my own feeling was that, um, you know, this was kind of initiated somewhat by some, you know, fairly high level civil servants in the Northern Ireland office who kind of brought with them uh, a little bit of experience from the Home Office where similar things were kind of going on a little bit in England, Wales, a, a bit more dialogue between organizations. And I think maybe that coincided also with a sort of feeling amongst these civil servants that, you know, we need to engage the academic community more. Uh, that hadn't really happened at all. And so it was actually my own sort of feeling at the whole beginning of this was, I remember a phone call sitting in my office in Queens, you know, back in the early 1990s, I got this phone call saying from a, some secretary in the Northern Ireland office saying that like somebody quite high level would like to speak to me and believe it or not, uh, invite me to lunch, which now, I'd never been approached before 
by anybody in government, let alone being invited to a, a lunch. But in a sense, uh, I went along, obviously accepted, and I came face to face with this sort of quite sort of posh English accent civil servant type who'd um, talked about the need, you know, to to um, involve academics more in the criminal justice and criminology world. Um, and I, I'm sure I wasn't the only one. I mean, I think they were going round various people sort of at that time, uh, sort of trying to, to engage them all. And the result of it was, you know, that they started to invite me and others to, to sort of conferences where I got in touch, I mean, you know, more, on a more formal basis with um, criminal justice people. And, you know, we had judges even sort of coming along for the first time, the opportunity, in fact, to even meet judges uh, outside the security bunker became somewhat a, a new idea. And I think, you know, there then developed the idea, I suppose, that there should then be a more formal setting uh, for academics, a, a center for criminal just criminology and criminal justice uh, to develop research. Uh, in the context of, of a sort of developing, very slow emerging at that time, uh, peace process. Uh, and that's sort of my feeling maybe how it all began. Um, it, it then, you know, money was put together and, and it started, as I said, there was this institute that began in, in Queens. Uh, it, it was an opportunity, you know, for a sort of bunch of people to get together in a more formal way, in a cohesive manner, uh, with, with a sort of interdisciplinary focus to, to look at policymaking in the context, as I say, of this emerging uh, peace process that was very early in, in, at that time. Yeah, I mean, so uh, Karen McAvoy here. Uh, John's recollection is correct. So in a, I think what, they, what happened was the, the NIO actually commissioned Professor Ken Pease to do a piece of research to look at the viability, to look what was being done around criminological research and to look at, the, at what was needed. I think there was broad consensus. I was working in the voluntary sector at the time. I was working for NIACRO, the Northern Ireland Association for the Care and Resettlement of Offenders. And so um, we were a big voluntary organization and we were part of those conversations basically around, and there was a, a general consensus, as you say, John, that there was a need for some kind of a dedicated center. Um, and so in 95, in 94, I think Mike Brogdon, the first director was appointed. He was appointed on a, a permanent contract as a professor of criminology. And then three others of us, myself, Dave O'Mahony, who was a youth justice um, specialist um, previously in the Institute of Criminology in Cambridge. And Keith Bryant, who's an Australian former police officer and then had gone on to become a criminologist. So you had policing, youth justice, myself um, focused on prisons and Mike um, fo um, focused on policing. Um, and that that was the origins. We were we were based in a little uh, place that looked like a kind of Hansel and Gretel house. I don't know if you remember it, John, but it yeah. kind of it sort of had the melting ice cream kind of vibe on the outside of it, uh, up in Lennoxville. And we were just we were across the road from the Institute of Professional Legal Studies, and we were just down the road from the Vice Chancellor's house. So we kind of thought this was my my first academic job. And we thought we were, must be quite important, really. You know, if if the Vice Chancellor lives on this street and they train lawyers across the road. Um, and it was a very, very exciting venture. Um, we had, because of the buy-in from the criminal justice agencies, we had senior representatives of the criminal justice system on the board. Um, and so, you know, you would have a, you know, a senior police officer, someone senior from the DPP, actually the director of public prosecutions, you know, someone senior from the Northern Ireland office, people from the voluntary, criminal justice voluntary sector. And it was all chaired uh, by Professor Mary McAleese, who went on, of course, to become president of Ireland. So it was, you know, it was a very exciting venture. You know, we were doing something new. Um, and as John says, it was all emerging in the same context as the peace process. So the IRS ceasefire and loyalist ceasefires are in 1994. 
we are set up and we're up and running by the following July 95. And all of a sudden, criminal justice is at the center of the negotiations and the, and the evolution of the peace process. Um, and so I'm working on issues around prisoner release. Um, which are very high profile. Mike Brogdon is working on issues of, of, of police reform, which is central to this. John, yourself and other colleagues ultimately become members of the Criminal Justice Review, which is established under the Good Friday Agreement to review the criminal justice system as a whole. And so there's a whole, there's a vibe certainly that there is a, a place and a space within all of this for criminological expertise, um, objective academic analysis on, on hugely controversial issues. Police reform was hugely controversial. Issues around releasing um, uh, politically motivated prisoners, hugely controversial. All of the work that John, your colleagues and you were involved in around making our criminal justice system um, fit for purpose in terms of, you know, moving out of a conflict, moving out of a war in effect to a normal um, a criminal justice system, a huge amount of work. But there was certainly, I think all of us felt very morally energized by that, by the opportunity, I suppose, to use your professional skills um, as, as a criminologist. I remember as well, at the same time, um, around 96, 97, Professor Harry Micah, a very distinguished restorative justice specialist, um, he takes up a place here as a, as a visiting scholar. <clears throat> and then myself and him and others begin a dialogue um, with the Republican movement around trying to find an alternative to punishment violence. That ultimately, that dialogue ultimately um, evolves into what are now known as community-based restorative justice schemes here, staffed and, 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 and run by ex-combatants on both loyalists and Republicans. So you can see here where you, you're, you know, it for me, as I suppose I was 27, this was a dream job for me. I was, I was quite a political person, I suppose. I, I was very excited by criminology and all of a sudden you're dropped into the middle of an evolving peace process where, where criminological skills matter, where these issues are front and center of, of the politics of the transition. So for me, John, it was just a, yeah. it was a dream job. I was super, super excited. Yeah. No, I, I think, I, I think it was very exciting. I suppose the, question was how did the law school in a sense become involved uh, because as Kieran was saying my memories of um, the institute were rather distant in, in terms of within Queens uh, they, they, they were situated about as far away as you could go maybe in terms of walking in the campus uh, near the vice chancellor's lodges as Kieran said we were sort of in University Square quite a long way away uh, Mike Brogdon did invite us once or twice to to sort of come round, and I, I must admit I was uh, quite over sometimes by the you know the lavishness of the uh, what I could see the, the building and the, the offices and so on and I sort of thought there's nothing like that we have here down in University Square uh, but in any rate it did come to pass that um, that sort of era I suppose of the Institute the early years um, sort of came to an end and there was a sort of university review as to where the Institute should go I mean there was great work emerging from the Institute but there was probably a feeling that there was a need to engage more formally with the other university uh, schools. So, um, as I say, you know, I suppose criminology sometimes is talked about, I know, as a sort of rendezvous discipline, and there's all sorts of schools that could, could bid for it. But uh, uh, somehow in the law school, I, I think there was a feeling, certainly among some of us who were kind of trying to create a research culture generally within the school, uh, you know, things like um, what's now known as the REE, uh, was, you know, we're coming home. I was at that time sort of head of the law school. And I was like, 
you know, wanted to make sure that people you know, were developing a research culture. And it seemed to me the sort of things that the work that Kieran was doing and others in the Institute were exactly the kind of things that a law school should be sort of engaging with, sort of serious research uh, in the context of the peace process. So, I mean, other schools, I think, perhaps express an interest, but we in law, after you know, discussing it, and there were some debates, have to be said, within the school, not all, not all were necessarily of the view that this was a good idea. But uh, a, con- a kind of consensus emerged. I was head of school. I had a certain influence, perhaps, and uh, I-, I thought it was a good idea. And it, I have to say, there was money a bit behind it as well, because we're looking for research funding, uh, and we had very poor, poor record of that in, 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 in the law school at that time. So we, we sort of bid, in a sense, for uh, Kieran and his colleagues to, to come into our uh, into our much less lavish uh, accommodation down University Square, and uh, that's how it kind of began uh, in in within the law school at, at any rate. Um, and I suppose uh, you know I became at the same time you know d- director, but I was kind of aware that you know in a way that there was a sensitivity about it because I hadn't not really been involved in any of this work particularly myself and my own research agenda in terms of the specifics of the peace process and yet those are the things that were going on within the institute so uh we had to be careful not perhaps to you know tread on toes and uh mike was you know the director at the time of the institute when it was established um but things had to in a sense move on i suppose with a new era and the institute coming into another school within the university I have some good stories on that, but I think, uh, Graham, you're looking to come in there, I think, on that, are you? Yeah, yeah it's just um, in relation to what you, you and John were saying there. Um, I think I remember reading somewhere, or maybe I, I did it for a brochure or something, that when the Institute was established in 95, I think it was, it was obviously the first you know, establishment on the island of Ireland to deal specifically with criminology. So in that sense, it was actually quite far-sighted. But I think at the time, it was only one of six, if memory serves me right, in all of the UK to actually teach graduate-level criminology. So in that in that sense, like compared to what the situation is now, it was well ahead, ahead of the the curve. But I was thinking as well, you're, you're talking, Karen, there about funny stories, but I seem to remember long before I started at Queen's that I think Mike had written a report on on informal policing or community policing. And I think he presented, this was just before the Patton Commission was appointed or whatever. And I think he had a, he presented this at a, a conference in West Belfast. I don't know if you rem- remember that, no? I do, yeah. But it got into the media and uh, the, the the media were sort of you know lambasting Mike for for wanting paramilitaries to be involved in in policing, which is not not at all what he what he was saying. But were there any other sort of controversial issues in 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 the early days or, or, around the topic of of criminology? I mean, there certainly were. Like I remember, so in in uh, one of the things we obviously wanted to do in, with establishing a new uh, institute was to establish our credibility within the broader UK and international criminological world. And so what we had done was we pitched to host the British Criminology Conference in 1997, which I think, Chad, you may have attended. I'm not sure, but anyway, it was so this is a bit, it's the big uh, uh, UK conference. And so we bid it, we bid to, to, to run it. Now, this was at the stage where 
the uh, there was a marching standoff every summer around Drum Creek protests. You know where um, the Orange Order and all their loyal orders would, were seeking to march through um, nationalist areas. There was a particular flashpoint in in, in Portadown, in Drum Creek, um, but it happened in other areas. And one of the other flashpoints was also in in the Lower Ormo, which is uh, what three hundred yards from Queen's University here. And so anyway, we I remember you basically you had a lot of TV images of riots of you know shootings of firebombings a whole range of things were happening and so we had bid for successfully got the the, the national executive of the british side of criminology to, to let the conference come here um and so uh i felt a bit like the the uh, the mayor in jaws because like you know as you're coming up to july the conference is always held in july flashpoint of the marching season and so Basically, you would have had the then president uh, of the uh, BSC. He was quite a conservative guy saying, is everything okay in Belfast? <laughs> and Belfast was a shit show. <laughs> so I was, I was going, everything is totally fine. You know, we have 400 criminologists coming here. And so we had, we, we had, we, the theme of the conference was uh, criminology and conflict resolution, right? So what is the role of this, uh, issues of uh, policing, prisons, and so forth in the process of conflict resolution? And so we had, you know, I think 400, 450 criminologists from around the world at the conference. In the mid, I think, I mean, a lot of people remember this conference because of the broader political context. But I remember I had written the speech for the then Lord Mayor of, of Belfast, who shall remain nameless. Um, but uh, he was quite a conservative DUP uh, uh, councillor and, and had become Lord Mayor. And so I had written the speech and it was basically a very progressive speech. Of course, it was saying about, you know, this is a, a year before the, um, the Good Friday Agreement was agreed. And let's not forget the DUP were outside those negotiations because Sinn Féin were involved in them and so forth, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I had written this speech for the Lord Mayor, assuming, of course, that he's going to change the text. You know, he's, so anyway, my speech says, well, it's clear that criminal justice and criminology is at the center of the emerging peace process. We have to have reform of the police. There has to be consideration of politically motivated prisoners being released. Human rights has to be at the center of the new criminal justice system. And I had written this and he stood up and he read it. And I, I, I was sitting beside some uh, uh, English uh, criminologists who I knew at the dinner in the, in the uh, in Belfast City Hall. And I'd said to them, listen, this guy's really reactionary politician, you know, like, I mean, it, so anyway, he's the, the Lord Mayor stands up and makes this very progressive speech and they're all looking at me going, I think you must be a bigot or something. That guy's talking complete sense to this. That you wouldn't, you wouldn't have faulted a word of that if you'd written it yourself. Of course I had, but, um, he, <laughs> he just read it out word for word without, without changing a decibel of it, you know? So, I mean, that was the context in terms of the move down, uh, I mean, Graham's right. The, Mike was highly, I mean, basically Mike was a very, very gifted uh, criminologist, brilliant policing scholar, really brilliant on, on the history of policing and scholarship to this day, I, I would still revisit, but he was an extremely eccentric man and certainly had, was not the person you, had, you wanted to be running an institute. Um, and I think Queen's probably realized that. Um, I think those kind of incidents where, you know, he would have made a few missteps in, in, in um, in what was a very sensitive political arena as well, um, the, the one that you remember, and there were others, Graham. But what happens then is, and Queen's realized, okay, number one, we have this institute, which is a good idea. So it's still a good idea. We just have a rather eccentric director. Um, and so what we need to do is to get, the, get criminology into a bigger school where it'll be more sensible. And of course, John Jackson's ahead of a very eminently distinguished scholar and a very sensible person. 
And so uh, law is the sensible place to pitch it. But then I don't know if you remember this job, but so Mike is not very happy basically about the merger. <laughs> so what happens then is the rest of us move down to the law school from our little Cancel and Gretel College. And Mike stays on for a while. And there's a period where we have a continuity institute. There's been a split, basically, marrying, in fact, splits that have happened within the broader peace process. And Mike stays on in in Hustle and Gretel College. And so for a while, I think there was a there's a new university recognized director of the Institute of Criminology, but there's also an old director in his old office. And so John's uh, unique diplomatic skills are also are then applied to the business of coaxing Mike down the road to join the rest of us. <laughs> Sorry, Graham, you're, you're looking in there, yeah? I think you're right. I think Mike was um, an excellent policing scholar, but I think he had he was eccentric in terms of of man- managing things, you know? So, I mean, I think one of the things, I don't know, Shad, about you, because uh, one of the things that we did during that period as we got into the 2000s is we were keen to recruit new talent um, as we got into the, the into the 2000s. So during that juncture, we recruit yourself, we recruit Phil Scraton, we bring our colleague Ruth Jamison in, Graham Allison is appointed. So we're really building up the, the, the Institute significantly. I mean, I don't know, Shad, if you wanted to come in and say what motivated you to come this re- weird wee place mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very far from your from your homeland sure yeah the the i mean the 1997 conference which i was at uh did, did play a big role in it it was you know it, it's one of those conferences uh uh, you know, you you have uh, when you have annual conferences with these academic groups, they all start to blur together, and and you 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 start telling stories. Were we in Atlanta or was that Chicago or and and and, and these kind of things? No one did that with the Belfast '97 conference. You know, I I remember uh, uh, taking the ferry over from Liverpool and then uh, the, the um, a bus up from from Dublin to to go to the. Uh, the meeting and just as, as the bus and we, we were crossing the border at the, at, at the time and, and and then you know the the burnt out cars started appearing on on the sides of the road and and you know anyway when we uh, you you quite quickly realized you weren't in Kansas anymore and this was going to be an unusual criminology conference and and for for many of us and and, and I you know I meet people you know now obviously I've been working here uh, for for um, fifteen years or since since uh, two thousand five or so and and. People will say, "Oh, Belfast, yeah, yeah, I went to Belfast once, 1997." They remember exactly that, that criminology conference, and and everyone had had a, just a remarkable time at it. But I, 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 you know, it wasn't just the the, the crack. I would have come over for the, uh, uh, you know, it was a fascinating place to do criminology to study uh, crime and justice issues. I've, I've often said, you know, it is a, a kind of um, um, a criminologist, but a, but a social scientist dream uh, um, uh, context in lots of ways because these these questions that, that we, we you know we become kind of dry in, in academic textbooks about you know what is justice for and 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 what are the police for and what what uh, uh, why why do we have prisons and these sort of things um, they were all very much alive and 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 the the uh, um, 2005 Belfast, you know, these were, these were real questions that, that were being asked and re-asked and revisited. And, 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 uh, um, you know, it was, uh, it was palpable that there was an opportunity to be a part of those, those big discussions and, and who's going to turn down that as a, as a criminologist, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was too good to be true for sure. I think one of, one of the things that we were 
we were very enthusiastic about everything, I think, and, and some, some projects probably worked more than others, but two that I can remember from the early days, one, um, myself and, uh, colleagues from the law school, uh, uh John Morrison and Ray Geary, and we were involved working with Dave O'Mahony on a community crime survey. So, you know, we adapted that, uh, the different variants of, of that, that had been done elsewhere. And we brought in, uh, a guy who had worked on the Islington crime survey, a guy called Brian McLean, who's a very well-known critical criminologist. Brian is also an ex-prisoner. And, uh, but his, the thing I like, I was never confident with quantitative data. Brian was super confident with quantitative data. Uh, and so his line to us would have been basically as a left-wing criminologist, you can make the numbers sing from a progressive point of view. <laughs> and he was really working very hard to help us make the numbers sing. And so you would be writing stuff. At, I mean, I would just be writing some qualitative analysis with Ray or, jo or John or Dave, and then just checking with Brian. Are those numbers actually saying that? You know, like, for example, in the relationship between um, communities and uh, estranged uh, Republican working class communities and the police, you know, because you, you kind of have a sense, well, we, we sort of think this, but then are they, and he, he was a good, he was very reassuring about that, about, you know, numbers can't sing as a left wing critical criminologist. If you understand the data properly, the data will, will help you out. It will, it, it will, it, it will, it will get you there. I remember as well. There's a colleague, a very distinguished drug scholar called Dr. Uh, Professor Karen McElrath, also an American who joined, um, uh, came over from the States as well. Karen and I did a big ethnographic study on the use of ecstasy in, in the club scene. So the club scene was emerging again in parallel with the peace process. And there was a lot of stuff at the time around, uh, even in the, in the English quality press around this idea that. Basically, ecstasy was going to resolve the Northern Ireland problem. You know, you had these these generations of clubbing young Catholics and Protestants who were hanging out together um, and meeting, you know, people from Inverticom as the other side. Um, and that this was going to be the center of the the, the breakdown of, 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 you know, years of, of sectarianism. And it's weird because I, I now have a, 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 a daughter who's in her late teens and she was asking me recently, um, because dad, you know, in the, in the club scene and in, in, in when E was really big here, you know, did you ever try it? Did you ever try E, you know, I, it was the squarest answer I have, I could imagine, you know, so of course you want your daughter to think you're very hip and cool. And I should, I, sorry, love, I, I have never tried E, you know, and she's going, why not? I said, well, I was doing a study of it at the time funded by the Northern Ireland office. And we were hanging out in all of these clubs. We were interviewing drug users. We were interviewing drug dealers, but my, my colleague and I made a, a deal very early on that given that this was government sponsored research, we wouldn't try it. So I kind of missed it because I was studying it. I was, I missed uh, three or four years of when that scene was at its height. And again, I was only in my late twenties. So possibly in another context would have been tempted to see what all this fuss was about. But instead I was being a nerd and I was writing about it and I was hanging out in clubs, taking notes and writing up field notes afterwards, rather than the actual experience, you know, but we were, we were basically up for it. I think we were up for adapting, you know, criminological stuff that was going on anywhere else and then kind of suck it and see kind of approach, you know, how relevant is is this thing that's happening in policing elsewhere? There's lots of this really interesting ethnographic stuff being done on drugs in Manchester and other places. Is that relevant? Does that work for us? And, you know, there's this thing being done on localized crime surveys. So basically you were kind of up for it. Like it was, uh, and as I say, sometimes it worked more effectively than others, but it certainly, yeah, it certainly wasn't dull. You know? 
I'm going through some of my notes. You know, we're talking about that that next generation of of criminologists that came uh, ten years or or more after the 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 founding in '95. And and you know, uh, two interesting things uh, I, I can see in here. One, I've got a, a little document of of where uh, we're talking about our successes, and this was the 2008 2009 era. And, and in, in that um, uh, little window, we had won the, the book prize uh, in criminology, British Criminology Society book prize. Twice in, in a row, we had uh, um, Anne-Marie McAlinden, uh, who's now a professor in, in, in the, the law school, uh, won it in 2008. And Louise Malander won it, uh, likewise, uh, a professor in law. Now, uh, Louise and, and Anne-Marie at the time were junior scholars. Uh, they won it back-to-back, 2008-2009. Uh, Claire Dwyer, at the same BSC uh, um, conference won the, the best article award, the Brian Williams Award for article. Anna Erickson that year, 2009, was the new scholar of the year in Australia and New Zealand, one of, one of Kieran's PhD students. So, so we had an injection of, of, of gender into, into the, the, the criminology conversation and, and, and some really exciting and dynamic successes of, of, of young, at the time, uh, new, new scholar, uh, female scholars coming into the school. Uh, I also found the first ever meeting notes I went to in 2004. Uh, this was before I joined the school formally, but there was a half day away day at the Malone Lodge Hotel on 8th of December 2004. I found the email and and uh, uh, yes, there, there's a, a, an interesting list of whether they all came or not, because I did come to the meeting. I, I sort of sat in the back, uh, but there, there's there's. A group of lawyers on here, John Stannard, uh, uh, John Morrison, Ray Geary that, that, that we've mentioned, but there's also a number from the, the emerging sociology uh, group of criminologists. So, so Patty Hilliard's name's on there, Karen McElrath, uh, we've already talked about, Mike Tomlinson's on there. And so, so we, we, at some point, and this would be just as I've joined the school, the, the Institute, um, um, although it was always housed in the School of Law, did broaden out to, to other schools. And, and, and my current school of social sciences in particular started playing a, a, a role in, in the, uh, um, the, the, the um, flowering of, of criminology within the university as well. I, I think it's a, it's a strong point, actually, Shad, because it, despite the fact that we were the obvious risk for any criminology institute, um, uh, moving into a law school is that it will become overly legalistic and become legally technical, doctrinal, backletter law variant. And there is a place for that, obviously, within uh, criminology, but it's only one place. And certainly in other, I've seen in other contexts where that can become, where it can kind of drown out other imaginative work, you know. Actually, it was the opposite effect here. I think, I think coming into the law school gave us the cultural capital that being in a law school brings, but allowed us to do and fairly radical work, actually, you know, and it's interesting. So I've kind of, I suppose, moved away from from criminology in the last ten years or so towards what is called transitional justice, basically the how you do justice in post-conflict societies. But interestingly enough, I think you mentioned Louise Malander there. Louise and I did a big project on amnesties, which we called Beyond Legalism, and um, around about 2010, 11. Uh, Louise now a very, very distinguished uh, professor in the field, Kirsten Conaghy also worked with myself and Harry Micah on this issue. Um, and we were looking at that stage on transitional justice from below, basically a critique of different kinds of transitional justice. So in effect, in, in the area that I now work in, what happened was that um, 
that kind of critical legal studies, socio-legals tradition expressed itself through criminology and, and the value added, if you like, for people who work in the transitional justice field. Now, if you think about what is, what is the Queens do, it would be that Queens are always the people who are poking beyond legalism. They're always the ones who are saying there's a really interesting um, way of looking, for example, at amnesties. So in the, in the, in the way that Louise and I looked at amnesties, we were heavily influenced by the punishment and society folks, you know, so, you know, the, the, the Richard Sparks type people, Jonathan Simon, David Garland, our thinking around amnesties came from that very strong criminological tradition within, Alessandro, your own area, you know, that people who think about the connection between punishment and society. And so I think that's always been a, a nice value added that, that we had as criminologists from this part of the world, albeit from the secure base of a law school. Um, and it was the law school that gave us the security in order to, to do that kind of space because people thought, well, if it's in a law school, it must be respectable enough, you know, <laughs> probably maybe your own work on sex offenders falls within, uh, uh, or uh, sorry, with sex workers, Graham probably falls within that tradition as well, where you can do what in other contexts might be seen as slightly edgy work, but actually you're doing it in law school. So it's kind of, it must be fine, you know? Yeah. I think there is a sense that, you know, working in a law school conveys a lot of legitimacy on what you're doing. It's got quite a lot of cultural capital as well. Um, but yeah, I was just, you know, thinking that in my time as director, um, 2015 to 17, the first time, um, we did actually run, I think it was the first conference ever held on the island of Ireland on commercial sex. And incidentally, the university paid for half half of that. But we had, um, like a lot of people came up from the Republic, um, over from England and Wales. We had a closed session that sex workers actually attended. But that was really, really good. And I think, you know, working in the law school conveyed a sense of, of legitimacy on, on that event that possibly meant that wasn't challenged as much as it might have been had it been held somewhere somewhere else for example but um but yeah um the other thing i was maybe going to say as well and maybe like john shad and kieran could could draw on it too is that i was just thinking about working it at queens compared to somewhere else maybe and what i've been finding here or what i have found here is that it's quite easy to access government departments and police and 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 whatever. Um, so I'm working on a project on sexual violence at the moment. Um, I'm meeting with PSNI on Friday, um, just a phone call away, basically. Um, whereas my counterpart in Scotland, she's had to go through all these hoops with Police Scotland and this, that, and the other. Uh, likewise, prosecutors, I made a call down to the PPS. Um, yeah, send us an email down about what you're doing, and we'll, ha we'll have have a look and get back to you. So they actually got back to me the same the same day. Um, so I think that's actually been invaluable, and I think it's something that that uh, we don't really acknowledge when, when we are doing the research that that ease of ease of access. I don't know what your experience in England is, John or, or Shad. Would you've been another? And, and Rutgers, maybe? Yeah, maybe I could just say a word there because I, I, I think 
Graham's hit on something really quite important there that I found um, when I moved uh, even down to Dublin and then across um, the water to uh, to England that um, it was more difficult to to make the kind of easy connections that you do make in a smaller uh, jurisdiction. Uh, so I mean. You, Graham, I think you mentioned, or someone was mentioning prosecutors. I mean, um, the fact of the matter is I'm kind of involved in a little bit of a project at the moment looking at sort of comparative ways in which prosecutors are are um, coming into a, a new world and their relationships with the police, with uh, Paul McGeehan, who's a kind of researcher in, 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 in the north here, Northern Ireland. But um, we, we found one of the things was, you know, we're looking at these different jurisdictions. The one immediate thing was that, you know, as soon as we approached um, Belfast, uh, um, the DPP himself, the Director of Public Prosecutions, immediately sort of said, yes, I'll, I'll have you, you know, we do something on teams because it was during COVID. But, you know, he brought this whole sort of set of people, high-level people into a, a, a teams meeting, lots of participation, so on. Um, you know, we didn't get that, needless to say, when we tried to approach the, the CPS in, in England. I mean, there's a very bureaucratic process there, uh, which is, you know, I, I feel it quite a lot here in, in, in Nottingham, whereby and before the CPS were prepared to do any, that's the Crime Prosecution Service in England, before they're prepared really to involve, get engaged in any research, you go through a, a lengthy bureaucratic process of permissions and so on. It's, it's worse, actually, than getting um, permissions from the judiciary to, to interview, um, you know, judges. So just complete contrast of um, culture and tone there, I think, in terms of the different jurisdictions. I mean, eventually, we did manage to, to get a fairly high level CPS person to talk to us, but it wasn't really in the context of research. It was just really, uh, you know, we had to sort of put it, spin it another way in terms of um, practice, very much sort of practice-driven uh, exercise rather than uh, necessarily research. So um, th that's definitely uh, an experience that I would um, you know, resonate with. Uh, I, maybe just say one thing, I wish Shad maybe wants to come in, but I'm just thinking Graham also hit there something I, I thought was quite important just going back to the early days, but did move on this idea of involving um, the South, Southern Ireland in criminology, because in a sense, I think they are also, things were, as in Northern Ireland, very, criminology was very slow in you know, the years whenever in England, things were going, moving very strongly and the British society of criminology was really li lively. I mean, Ireland generally, North and South were, were slow to engage. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I could say, that, you know, in a sense, bringing together um, trying to sort of engage with the, the, the Southern um, criminology communities. Belfast played a big role in that. We, we sort of had an annual North-South criminology conference. Uh, I know Graham was, a, 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 you know, attended. He mentioned something that emerged later, but it's back, back comparatively early. I mean, I kind of remember a, a long car journey with Shad and Kieran on the way back from Limerick which is a God almighty place to go to if you're traveling by road. Uh, but we sort of made the effort to go all the way down, all the way back again. We remained in reasonably good terms, I think, at the end of it, but it was an ordeal. But it was something we enjoyed, nevertheless, when we got there, uh, that, you know, engaging with people in other law schools in Ireland. Yeah, I, I remember that as well. Um, uh, but but yes, the, the very first I, I've called up uh, on my screen that none of you can see, of course, because this is a podcast. But but uh, um, the uh, the very first North South meeting was held, Wellington Park Hotel, two thousand and five, September. And yeah, it's it's you. Uh, the, the the letters from from 
you, John, and, and Wen Li Zhang, our, our office supervisor at the time. And, and uh, yes, uh, uh, this has become an annual or mostly annual meeting. We, we've missed it in the occasional year, thanks to, to COVID and other things. But but uh, uh, it, it's been going strong for, for 15 years uh, since that, that initial meeting we had in, in, in Belfast. And, yeah, the... the uh, the turnout at that meeting, we, we hosted another one and uh, six years later with, with the University of Ulster uh, and, and, and Belfast. The, the, um, again, the, to, to go back to your point, Graham, the, the turnout of uh, uh, people uh, from the, the uh, prison service, from the police, from, from uh, the judiciary, the, the senior civil servants uh, at, at these, these events. And, and, and of course, you know, we would have had uh, an advisory board uh, with, with, with representation from, from most of the different agencies and, and, and as well as the Criminal Justice Inspectorate and NIACRO and, and uh, other organizations, CRJI, Community Restorative Justice Ireland, and, and things were on our board uh, during my, my years with, with the group. Um, and, and, and so that meant when we would have these speakers like Jonathan Simon, Chris Eugen, Pat Carlin, uh, Pat O'Malley, and, 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 and others as our annual lecturer at, at, at the end, you, you know, we would be exposing all the, the different agencies to these, these, these really uh, thoughtful and, and, and critical criminological scholars. So, so, so you know, it, it, is a, uh, it is a rare opportunity. You mentioned me going to, to New York, Graham. Yeah, there, it, nothing like this. Uh, you know, it would be, who are you? Never heard of you. And, and uh, you know, you take, take a number if you wanted to meet with, with anybody within the, um, the, the different criminal justice agencies, but certainly not the top people in, in, in the legal establishment uh, in, in the country. So, so yeah, it, 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 it makes this job, again, you know, the, the issues are, are, are alive. Uh, things like when, when I uh, was uh, I, I either just taken over or, or was about to take over when we had devolution of, of criminal justice uh, powers in, in, in Northern Ireland. So, so you know, these are, are uh, big, uh, big things. Uh, so, so there are live issues that were, 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 were happening. Uh, and then you, you on top of that, you, you add that, that you're not the only show in town, but you're the biggest show in town in terms of uh, a criminology. And, and, and so you're going to get this, you know, uh, outstanding access. Uh, it, it makes for a a, 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 a potent mix for sure. I remember you talking about the annual lecture there, Shad. I remember one particular annual lecture. You may remember it as well, John, where our former chair of our board, Judge uh, David Smith, was chairing this event. And we had invited the, he wasn't long appointed, Sir Hugh Ward as the Chief Constable of the PSNI coming in. This was before Sinn Fein uh, went on. I the was police. there, yeah. Were you there at Ralph Yeah, yeah. So, so the, so anyway, so Hugh Ward is a pretty robust character. And uh, so he's doing the annual lectures before Sinn Féin go on the board. And at that stage, uh, Ogre Sinn Féin, the Sinn Féin youths, um, had, were, were protesting everywhere he went around issues which remain highly topical around um, collusion or you see involvement in human rights abuses and so forth. But clearly a relationship had developed between Ord and the organizers of the thing because one of them, a guy I used to know, is a, a former uh, uh, Republican uh, POW um, ex-prisoner. And so he was the organizer, he's the older guy organizing. The, and so basically he would go in, I'll not name him, but uh, Hugh Ord comes in to do the elections, a lot of security and stuff. There's a couple of hundred people. There. And uh, Hugh name checks him, he goes in, 
hi, how are you doing? And he goes, Hugh, how are you? So it's like, this is the way this works. There's a protest and then he gets all the electric kind of thing. But I remember there's, there's a guy, they're holding up a protest. The young Sinn, Sinn Féin um, are holding up the protest in front of uh, Hugh Ward. And I think they've just got the timing wrong. I think the way the thing works is you hold up the protests around, it was around state collusion. And then eventually, obviously, you, you set it down and you either leave or you sit down and wait for the rest of the lecture. But I don't think somebody in the coordination hadn't passed the message on that at some stage, you got to hope you got to stop holding up the sign. Because after a while, that's a stress position, obviously holding your hands out. So uh, anyway, there was a young guy, I remember, I'm not sure, five or six young fellas holding up this thing. And the other thing that they didn't realize was the, 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 the uh, thing where they had their message written on was actually translucent. And one of the young fellows who was holding up this thing about state collusion or whatever, very serious topic needless to say, but he's holding this up and obviously his testicles were itching. Um, and so he's holding it up with one hand and he was reaching down behind the same frequently to scratch. And all of us in the audience could see this. <laughs> Ord couldn't real. Ord couldn't realize why is he? Why is everybody laughing? Like why is it? Why am I being so funny? I'm writing this. I'm doing this speech on my vision for the future of policing in the jurisdiction or whatever it was. And this very young fellow, this young Republican, is is um, scratching his testicles in in view of the two hundred people assembled in front of him. <laughs> so anyway, eventually, I think that the the leader of Ogden Fan thought, okay, we've had our protest. Let's get this down. And uh, I think they sat through the rest of the lecture. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember that particular incident, but I do remember, there, you would remember. <laughs> hearing about it and hearing it was a very sort of civilized protest. Totally civilized and like almost like part of the the ritualized performance of this place. You know that you know the the the, the, the speaker arrives. There's security issues. There's a, a, an accommodation reached between protester and speaker. Everybody sort of gets on with the democracy. You know, and, and you know actually, and finally, if you think about it now. What happens on university campuses? It was a very grown-up way of dealing with controversy. You know, actually, you know, you let people have their protests, let people, but you also let people exercise their right to free speech, um, and you know, that's what happened. And you know, okay, it was slightly interrupted by 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 an itchy testicle, but nonetheless, democracy and freedom of speech were upheld. It's what universities are supposed to be about. Thank you very much. We are uh, approaching forty-five minutes. So I, I think that now it's time to uh, ask a question about the future direction. So uh, where do you see uh, criminology and criminal justice research and policy engagement at the ICCJ, on the island of Ireland and beyond after Brexit and nearly 24 years since the Good Friday Agreement going? Uh, Queens uh, has become uh, a powerhouse. I mean, we don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much. But beyond transitional justice, now we have developed a clear expertise on sexual offending, sexual uh, work. Uh, now we have members of staff who, starting out from the transitional justice context, have now become uh, recognized experts in international criminal justice, transnational crime, uh, environmental crimes in the international context, uh, reintegration studies. And now we have an increasing uh, number of people focusing on comparative criminal justice uh, issues. Uh, so where do you see, again, in a post-Brexit uh, world, in an increasingly globalized uh, environment when it comes to criminological and criminal justice research, especially, again, now 
24 years after the Good Friday Agreement, where do you see the research culture, the research environment, and engagements within the institute and the university uh, going moving forward? I'm happy to kick off on that, and then if other folks want to row in. So, I mean, the obvious one post Brexit, um, as you say, Alessandro, is the All Ireland conversation. Um, that's that's the zeitgeist, the realities of the outworkings of Brexit. Obviously, the vast majority of people uh, in this jurisdiction voted against Brexit, so it has been an issue that has been imposed on the jurisdiction against the will of people who live here, and that has led to an, a, an increased attention on All Ireland considerations more generally. Um, now, obviously, as, as we've chatted about already, uh, people working here have always been involved in cross-border stuff, and I'm thinking not just of the stuff we talked about already, but uh, Professor Phil Scraton, one of our long-standing and distinguished qualities. Colleagues now, Professor Emeritus, Phil's work on 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 public order, on inquests, on family search for truth. That's applied across across the water, not just to Hillsborough, but it's been picked up in in Dublin and it's been picked up in other parts of the south. And so there's always been that kind of work north south. I think that's where the conversation's going. And um, interested, actually, John, to hear you're working on on prosecutions issues around the Republic. We're seeing an, a lively debate at the moment about. Um, the uh, about police accountability and the investigation of complaints against the police in the Irish Republic. And obviously a lot of the attention is drawing on the experience of the police ombudsman here. Shahad, no doubt you could speak about prisons issues cross-border, um, certainly on the conflict-related transitional justice space and the issues of legacy. Myself, my colleagues Louise Mulder and Anna Bryson, also members of the Institute, we have been looking a lot on the north-south aspects of that, what what if anything, and there are certain roles that the criminal justice system in the, in the Republic need to play in order to to meet the needs of, of uh, people affected by the conflict. So what I think for me, the obvious thing, the obvious big thing in terms of research in this jurisdiction is about research in this jurisdiction and the Republic and what that all island criminological conversation looks like. I think that's quite an exciting area and obviously it's building on a significant amount of work that's already been done. But for me, that's one obvious direction of travel for us all. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, Kieran's obviously right. I think an All Ireland dimension is is um, something that's probably inevitable that we will have to focus on. But for me, I think it's a combination of old issues and and new issues. Um, my historic historical interest has been in policing, um, and in many ways, you, you know, the the PS and I have done done some quite good things, and in other areas. There is, there is sort of room for improvement. But I remember, I think it was about 2003, maybe 2004, I had a drink with David Bailey, a very famous um, American policing scholar. Um, and he said, well, you know, you have to remember it's going to take 20 years. And I said, what, what is, he said, oh, the, the transition from RUC to PSNI. Um, so really we're sort of sitting around 17 years at the moment. And I'd say we're probably, probably, only about 65, 70% there. So I think there is scope maybe to sort of look at what, what's happening. In terms of newer issues, um, things that have been mentioned, particularly around, around Me Too, sexual consent, I think that's becoming an absolutely huge topic. And I think that's re really the reason why the PPS and the police are actually engaging with us on, on this project anyway, because it is so topical but i'm not sure if this necessarily sits with criminology or where you'd put it but i'm kind of interested in in how young loyalists think and feel but i'm not, I'm not sure what 
how to how to get at that um, because that they seem to be <laughs> you know people talk about the the left behind behinders and and that does really seem to me to be a, a kind of a, a category of person that that has been left behind certainly around the in terms of the debates about peace and so on and so forth that I think young nationalists have been much better able to to mobilize and to kind of own the the peace process but i'm not sure how how i could link that to something to some kind of research area but that's just my my random thoughts yeah no that's that's really interesting graham and and you know in in my world prison's world we had um, a less uh, gold-plated version of the Patent Commission, uh, the, the Owers review of the, the prison service, uh, much later even than than the uh, uh, than 17 years ago. So that's only going back now. I, I've lost it in my head, but seven or eight years uh, since the the Owers review. But yes, we are starting to see uh, um, very uh, belatedly uh, a, a real change away from what the prisons were uh, in, in the, the, the 1990s uh, when, when, when I first started coming over here. And, and uh, uh, this, like the police, was a, a service very, very badly uh, in need of, of uh Reimagining, and 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 um, and so we're starting to see some of that. Um, uh, and and, and um, yes, the, we're gonna we're gonna continue to see change here. I mean, this is the um, the gift of Brexit in in, in some ways is that that um, it has <clears throat> uh, reinvigorated some of of the, the tensions uh, on the island and um, cre- you know created uh, some new tensions as well and 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 uh, has sped along the, the process of, of uh, that that we're talking about this uh, uh, that's that soon going to be coming in in, in terms of, of uh, the the constitutional status here on, on the island um, and other issues uh, that, that are surely going to come up uh, we mentioned the green criminology the, the environmental criminology is is certainly going to become all the more urgent uh, in, in the future um, you know the the uh, uh, issues around protest and 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 the right to protest and 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 uh, the the kind of uh, fine line between protest and rioting uh, you're starting to see all over from the the uh, January 6 uh, commission work in the United States to uh, uh, issues around the policing of, of Sarah Everard protests or, or, or the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protests, even here in, in Belfast, where we had COVID uh, rules being used uh, to police that that uh, uh, th- those protests. I, I, um, I think we're, we're decades ahead of the curve when it comes to, to that kind of uh, um, behavior, both on the policing side and the uh, citizen side in Northern Ireland. And so there's an enormous amount uh, the world could learn from uh, the the way we deal with with protest, riot, and 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 all the gray area in in between there. Here, uh, all sorts of uh, of issues, uh, and and that that global local that that you mentioned early, Alessandro. You know, I I, I think the the uh, we've always it's certainly since my time here have been uh, um, globe trotting. I know uh, uh, Graham and and, and Kieran uh, are, are certainly always overseas, but at the same time, drawing on the expertise locally and bringing back the expertise uh, globally in, in, in the international research we do, uh, I, I think we're, we're well-placed to, to continue doing that kind of thing. 
I, I would just endorse all the things that people have said. I, I think in terms of uh, maybe Northern Ireland being an exemplar, um, you know, um, Kieran mentioned the, the Public Prosecution Service in Northern Ireland in some ways uh, is a bit of a gold standard uh, because of the way it was set up over time. It was kind of evaluated uh, in great detail. It was inspected. And it's it kind of looking across at other jurisdictions. It's a good exemplar, I think, of, of, of the way to go, and particularly in the South, where they're thinking there now of, of having a kind of uh, public prosecution service for, for all offences. But as well to pick up maybe on what um, Graham was saying in terms of sexual offences, I think the role of how they're handled in the courts, obviously, is... Um, been very significant with the Gillen review coming up with I think 250 recommendations, which no one thought that would really happen. But those recommendations are again a kind of exemplar that we're able to come out of a small jurisdiction, but are definitely now getting sort of international uh, attention. And it's really a way in which um, you know how can a small jurisdiction maybe do things that others can't so easily. And you know we obviously Northern has low rape convictions like like other jurisdictions as well, but. There is a kind of exemplar there in terms of how to deal with it on an interagency basis. And I know at the moment there's research, I think uh, Dr. Dowd in the, in the criminology um, centre in, in Belfast is, is actually at the moment sort of in a placement arrangement with the Department of Justice looking at this whole issue, uh, which, you know, again, is, is, I think is going to lead to very interesting issues re relating to consent and how those are managed in the courts. And as I was just there also thinking of COVID, uh, the way in which technology is kind of perhaps acting as a catalyst for these kinds of cases where you pre-record lots of stuff before the trial and the whole idea of people having to sort of humiliate themselves in a sense or be humiliated in court with, with sort of questioning that goes on can be sort of handled in a different way, uh, perhaps through, through, you know, technology and COVID so there's downsides to the sort of digital revolution that's going on in the courts, but there may be some upsides to it as well, which you know may, may come out in some of the research. I would like to thank our distinguished uh, guests today for an exceptionally interesting conversation reflecting on the past, present, and future of criminology and criminal justice research at the ICCJ here at Queen's University Belfast. Thank you so much to our listeners and stay tuned for more podcasts in the ICCJ series. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alessandro.